Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. This is Family Sunday, which means we uh, love to have our younger ones in, uh, but if you are kindergarten and below, there is classes for you available today. Erica, Taya, great to have you here. As Erica mentioned, uh, Jessica and I have known her for, well, when you get to a certain age, you can say, you're, it's like decades, right? Yeah, a long time. Before any of us were married, even, which is pretty crazy. Go way back in ministry, so it's so good to have you here. This is a, our first season, our first week in Advent, and we usually pick a theme every year to um, kind of revisit the story of Jesus' arrival. And so this... Um, this is our kickoff for that. I want to uh, let you know that on our website, there's actually a special page uh, for resources, Advent resources for the home. And whether you kind of celebrate Advent or not, um, we feel like it's super important as a church family that we keep Christ the center. And that's, that's difficult to do, right, when there's so many cultural things that kind of cloud what Advent is about. I remember years ago when our, uh, we just had our firstborn, and... Everybody in our family was excited. Uh, obviously, Jessica and I were, but I'm talking family, extended family, um, aunts and uncles and grandparents from different states. And I remember one of the very first Christmases, um, we were, Christmas morning, we were looking at the tree, and it was tons of presents underneath, and they were almost all for Jude, <laughs> the first grandson. And we, we do stockings, and so I remember he pulled out of his stocking a little car, and he was stoked. And he started running around and playing with the car. And 20 minutes went by, and Jessica and I are looking at each other, and we're like, he hasn't even unloaded his stocking, let alone started on his presence. And he's this excited about one little car. We're going to be here till the new year. And there was this sense in us that like, we had to get him to, do, to like, open all the presents. And then we kind of like paused for a moment, and we're like, is this really what we want future years to be like? Like, all about the presence. And again, presents are amazing and we give gifts. But it causes us to like consider how are we celebrating the season? And so I just want to encourage you, it's never too late to pause and to consider how you're celebrating the season. And so again, on our website is some resources to help you do that um, for the Advent season. So there's a story. I want to open to the story today. There's a story of this man. He lived uh, not too far from a river. And one winter, there was a torrential downpour, and the river began to swell. And before he could even react, he found that he was surrounded by water. So he climbed to the roof of his house, and he began to pray, God, would you save me from this flood? Before he knew it, within an hour or so, a man came by in a rowboat. And he shouted to the, to the man on the roof that had been praying. He says, jump in, I can save you. And the man on the roof Shouted back, no, it's okay. I'm praying to God. He's going to save me. So the man rode on. A little bit later, a guy in a water ski boat came by. He says, jump down. I can save you. And the man said again, no, it's all right. I'm praying to God. He's going to save me. I have faith. So the motorboat went on. Water continued to rise, and he was at the very peak of the roof, and then a, a helicopter flew by. They had seen him from a distance. 
And the pilot shouted down, grab this rope and I will lift you to safety. And to this, the stranded man again replied, no thanks. I'm praying to God and he's going to save me. I have faith. The guy flew away. Soon the water reached over the rooftop and the man drowned. He went to heaven. He finally got his chance to discuss the whole situation with God. At which point he exclaimed to God, God, I had faith in you. You didn't save me. You let me drown. I don't understand why. To this, God replied, I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. What more did you expect? (laughs) Our theme this Advent season is this idea of waiting expectantly. We need something or something is about to happen in the future And we are waiting for that to come. That's what Advent is. It's this waiting of an arrival. And so as we enter into the Christmas season this year, we're going to revisit the Christmas story through this this lens of waiting expectantly. This is really a theme that is foundational to the Christmas story. If you think about the nation of Israel, they were waiting for a Messiah. They had lived under oppression for many years. They were waiting expectantly. We see it with uh, Joseph and Mary when the baby, when she's, when she gives, uh, she's impregnated, I can't think of another word, um, by the Holy Spirit, and she's waiting for the arrival of the baby. We see it in the wise men who traveled from very far to go and to see this king that was born, this idea of waiting expectantly. So let me ask this question this morning. What is your posture when you wait? Like, how do you wait? Probably depends on what you're waiting for, right? Sometimes we wait impatiently, like at the DOL or the DMV for you California transplants. Sometimes we wait angrily. I loan that money to my friend and my relative, and they still haven't paid me back. Sometimes we wait with annoyance for your spouse to be ready to go to the Christmas party, and they're still getting ready, right? Don't look at anybody. But maybe sometimes we wait differently. We wait with hope for the doctor to deliver good news on those test results. Or we wait for joy for the expected gift to arrive. Maybe we wait in peace, knowing that God's in control and it's all going to work out in the end. Maybe it's something small or something big But let me ask you right now, how many of you would say you are waiting for something? Yeah, as you think about it, the hands hands keep going up. You're waiting for something, right? Waiting for that present, waiting for that raise, waiting for Christmas. All of us are probably waiting for something, and there's different levels and degrees of that. And so... What I want to ask you to do in these coming weeks is to to take note of that. Take note of the way that you are waiting. Think about what you are waiting for. Because we're going to keep circling back to this in the days ahead. Okay, so we know that the very first Christmas, 2,000 years ago, was the beginning of the end of Advent. You know what I mean? The beginning of the end. Because Advent is this waiting for the arrival of something. 
And the nation of Israel had been waiting and waiting and waiting. Waiting for a Messiah. Waiting for something to change in their situation. So it was the beginning of the end of Advent. So I think this morning, one of the best ways we can orient ourselves to what this season is all about is to do a little bit of time traveling. We're going to go back to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. The setting in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago was Israel, the nation of Israel, just like today, was planted in the Middle East. The Jewish people who make up the nation of Israel have lost their freedom. They've been occupied by what many consider still today one of the greatest empires on earth, the Roman Empire. And they had lost their freedom as a result of that occupation. Have you ever lost your freedom? Even just a little? I see a couple of kids' hands raised going up. Yep, you got grounded, didn't you? You lost some privileges, didn't you? Some of your freedom was taken away. Some of us, and maybe you've, in your past life, you were incarcerated. And so you know fully what it means to lose all of your freedoms. All of us at some point or another probably haven't, have experienced at least a degree of not having the freedom that we want. But the Jewish people, it was different. They'd been occupied by the most powerful empire on earth at that time, and they were experiencing crushing taxation, kind of like Washington State. <laughs> Probably more than 10%. Crushing taxation, strong-armed intimidation, almost like the mafia, and they were powerless to do anything against it. Now, there had been, up to this point, there had been attempts at uprisings. There had been attempts to overthrow this kind of oppressive rule, but they had all failed in horrific bloodshed. Every revolutionary that had risen up in, in Israel that had managed to muster enough people had been quickly crushed by Roman rule. So the Jewish people, this is their setting that they lived in. And in the midst of this setting, they were holding on to God's promises to them that had been passed down from generation to generation. There was a promise given to the nation of Israel, to the people of Israel, given by multiple prophets hundreds of years before that there would be a Messiah that would come and that he would make all things right. Actually, these prophets had spoken way before Rome even occupied Israel when another occupier, Babylon, ruled the land. We see in Micah 5.2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And so the people were waiting, and they were waiting in their waiting, there was probably this mix of emotions because that's what waiting sometimes brings, right? There's probably a mix of, of both fear and hope. When these promises are fulfilled, what will that look like? Will it look like further bloodshed? Further loss of our brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers? Will that be what overthrows the Roman Empire? Or will there be peace 
on the other side of this. And so in their waiting, there's both hope and fear. And so that takes us up to the beginning of the Christmas story. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open this morning to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. We'll read the first six verses here. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Etruria, and Trachonitis and Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He, John, went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. So here comes John, kind of a crazy wild man, out of the mountains, in a specific time, we have that recorded at the very beginning of chapter 3. Kind of a marker of time in the story of the nation of Israel. And connected to John's ministry is this prophecy from Isaiah given 700 years earlier. 700 years earlier. That all people will see God's salvation. You can imagine what that kind of was beginning to stir up in people. You can imagine as John began to move in spaces and began to, to preach and began to, to essentially prepare the way that there was an expectancy among the people. In fact, further on in verse 15, it says, the people hearing John were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Could this be it? They were waiting Expectantly. Here's the question, though. What do you think they were expecting? What do you think that they were expecting would happen when the Messiah arrived? Expectations are a powerful thing, aren't they? Christmas morning, like every one of us, has an expectation of what will happen, and it usually happens, right? There's presents under the tree. There's a gift-giving. There's an exchange. Expectations are a powerful thing. They're often an imagining of how things might be. As a pastor, I often meet with couples that are getting ready to get married. And we do call, I call it marriage preparation. How do you prepare for life together? And always what happens is one and the other have these expectations of what married life will bring. And then those things collide. <laughs> They bring in what they saw modeled from their parents, what they have romanticized in movies and books. And when those expectations collide, there's often friction. 
And so as a pastor, I spent a lot of time managing those expectations, helping to realign those expectations. So expectations are a powerful thing. They're often an imagining of how things might be. For Israel, their expectations were tied to their longing to be free, to be in control of their own destiny. And so they were waiting expectantly. Could John be that guy? Could he be the Messiah that will allow us to experience freedom to once again be in control of our own destiny? The other thing about expectations is they're greatly influenced by culture. We have people from different cultures in our background, in our church. And one of the things I love is, is comparing stories on what the expectations will be. So in some cultures, it's expected that a young woman lives with her parents until she gets married. That's just part of the culture, right? There's, in some cultures, it's expected that once your parents get a certain age, they move back in with you. That's part of the cultural expectations. We have these different cultural expectations that influence us. Someone once said that culture is like the water we swim in. It's so part of our daily existence, we don't know how much we're shaped by it until we're out of it. Next week, you get to hear from Alex and Lydia, who just got back from uh, the Philippines. Alex and Lydia are from Uganda, and they visited the Philippines, and with that, two cultures were experiencing each other in different ways. And they now look at probably their own culture and even American culture in a different way because they are pulled out of that water that they swim in. How many of you have been to a different country? You know what I'm talking about. Ah, a lot of you. When you get out of your culture, all of a sudden you go, whoa, so much of what I expect in life is shaped by how I was raised and what the culture is. I remember when I lived in Hawaii, there was this whole thing called Hawaiian time that I didn't know existed. Hawaiian time is, if you're going to be somewhere at 7, you start getting ready at 7 <laughs> to go there. Aloha time. It's actually amazing how many cultures have that, too. When I was in, in Kenya, African time, right? The same thing. I remember with Simon and Joyce staying at their house, and Simon said, hey, we're going to meet with a pastor at 9 a.m. this morning. And I said, okay, what time are we going to leave? He goes, probably 9.30. <laughs> He goes, it'll take a while for them to get there. <laughs> Simon knew me as an American, that I'd be like, oh, we got to get there early. But he did, and he knew, hey, I need to coach Pastor Andrew a little bit in this, how this works, right? So expectations are an imagining of how we think things will be in the future, but they are greatly influenced by our culture. So for Israel, their history was one of being conquered by powerful people. That whole region of the world had flip-flopped power. And still to this day, we see this back and forth. Who really gets this land? Well, whoever's the strongest, right? Whoever's the most powerful. So it made sense that their image of a Messiah would look like some sort of king or some sort of powerful prophet. So expectations man, are influenced by the culture. They're an imagining of what we often hope will happen. The other thing with expectations is they can keep us from seeing things clearly. When someone promises us something that we think will meet a deep need or desire, it's amazing how much we'll overlook what we actually won't see. Like the man on the roof. What do you think he expected God to do? Maybe he thought God himself was going to come down and scoop him up and put him on dry land. 
And so he ignored the boats and the helicopter. Oh, because that's not how God's going to work. In the meantime, God's saying, what else could I do? Expectations can keep us from seeing things clearly. And this is why we have so many people that have fallen prey to things like the get-rich-quick scheme. Oh, this email that I randomly got from my Nigerian prince. That, this has to be legit. Because deep in, within us, there's this longing to, to, to what? Really, it's to be free. The longing is to be free. If I had this amount of money, then oh, I can be free from the stresses and the worries of my day. And so we get suckered in by get-rich-quick schemes or by politicians who make promises they don't intend to keep or even by religious people who sell a type of God that is made in their image, not in God's true image. So in Israel's day, there were prior to John, there were many people who came into public view but were simply using the desires or the expectations of the people to exploit them. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John could have used this moment to frame himself as the hero, to gather fame to his own advantage, but he didn't because his main purpose was to point to the true Messiah. 3.16, John says to them all, Listen, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so he would. He would come. And as the story goes, the expectations of the people, the time and the culture, all of this would collide with the humble arrival of the Messiah in the little off-road town in Palestine called Bethlehem. The words of the old Christmas song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, echo what we read earlier in Micah 5. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I'm going to have the team, worship team come back up. How, how we wait reveals a lot about what we believe. Let me say that again. How we wait reveals a lot about what we believe. Do we wait in fear or anxiety? It could be because we don't know if there's a future hope for us. Do we wait impatiently? It could be that we don't trust God's timing. The arrival of Jesus reminds us that God's timing is always perfect. He's never in a hurry. He's always on time. And so if you this morning are in a season of waiting, remember this about God's timing. It's always perfect. It's always on time. And so instead of waiting impatiently with fear and anxiety, this Christmas season is a reminder for us to wait with hope. With all of our cultural wrappings, it can be difficult to remember. But let me encourage you, Christian or not, to get to know the person of Jesus this year. Not the caricature of him. Not the Hollywood version of him. The real Jesus. 
Not even what I say. Read his word. Get to know Jesus. Maybe Jesus isn't the savior that you expected, but I guarantee you that he's the one that you need. It was true for Israel and the Jewish people, and it's true for us today. And so let's take these moments, these last few moments, as the team sings this song, just to reflect, to center our hearts this morning. And so, Father, we ask this morning, in our various states of waiting, with hope and with fear, would you meet with us here? Lord, would you center us in this busy season? Would you show us what is true about yourself? We might lay down all of our expectations and get to know you anew in this season. In Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.